0: My name is Jeff, and I'm one of the pastors here at GCF Valley. It's good to see you tonight. Thank you for joining us for this Good Friday worship service. For centuries, Christians have placed great significance on this day, Good Friday, because it, in fact, commemorates what we believe to be the most important weekend in the history of the world. Ever since Jesus died and then was raised on Easter Sunday, Christians have proclaim the cross and the resurrection of Jesus as the decisive turning point in all of human history, really in all of creation. That doesn't mean that we don't have questions about Good Friday. And perhaps the most obvious question on many of our minds tonight is, how can a brutal crucifixion of an innocent man be considered good? I mean, what's what's even so good about spending time thinking about his death, I mean, let's be honest, most of us really don't like to think about death our own or others. So, so what's the good in Good Friday? For that answer, we really need to understand the, the story of Good Friday. And so, without reducing the Bible and certainly Christianity and all the events leading up to Good Friday to one short verse… I do want to tell the story of Good Friday from one key verse. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. The words will be up on the screen here behind me. It, it's a short verse. It's 15 Greek words, 21 English words. Let me read it for us. For our sake He, that is God, made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Now, the Apostle Paul is writing to a first century church here in the city of Corinth, and he's seeking to persuade the believers in that church that, in fact, the gospel, the good news of all the saving work of Jesus is actually true. Paul believed it was. Paul was firmly convinced that Jesus, in fact, did die for his sins, and so he, he wants all of the corinthians gathered there to be convinced of the same and so in this one verse 2 corinthians 5:21 we really have a concise summary of the story of Jesus Christ and in that one verse we also have the answer to the question before us tonight what what really is the good what's good about good friday So this verse is is crucial to our understanding of who Jesus is, of his mission, of what he has actually done for us on the cross. So the story then of Good Friday really has two parts that we want to look at tonight. Here's the first part. The story of Good Friday actually begins with our, our need. Our need. Paul, again, is clear here in the very first few words of verse 21 that we human beings are actually in deep spiritual need. We We actually have a problem. Paul says, for our sake, that is, for for you and me, for human beings, God the Father intervened. He acted on our behalf, and He did something for us, most notably in and through the death of Jesus on the cross. So what Paul makes clear here from the very first few words of that verse is that Jesus was crucified for us. So, he didn't die on a cross for himself or for his own sins. He actually died for us. So, why? I mean, why did we need Jesus to die for us? I mean, aren't we generally, generally good people, decent people? Somebody's laughing at that. Okay, we're clearly not. I mean, the prevailing idea in our culture is that, well, yeah, we kind of are. We're generally good, decent moral people. We're we're kind of all heading in the same direction, aren't we? I mean, can't we just sort of agree that whatever path you choose in life, that, you know, with, with a little bit of work, it'll just kind of all work out in the end. I mean, does it really matter what you believe? Does it really matter who you believe, just as long as you're sincere in your beliefs? Aren't we all just doing okay on our own? And the truth is, we're not. And, and even my non-Christian friends and neighbors, at some point, they, they stop long enough to ask the question and say, what is wrong with the world? Something's not right. And even more specifically, what's wrong with me? And the reason is that we're all sinners. And I realize that if Talking about the brutal death of a sinless man makes you uncomfortable. Well, then the the news that it was because of your sin and my sin, our sins, that put him on the cross probably doesn't give you much more comfort. But this is, in fact, the true story of the Bible and that the Bible tells us really from the very beginning. Genesis, God who who created the world, who created human beings, God who is altogether good and kind and uh, righteous and holy and just and merciful… He actually created human beings in his image, which means then that every human being was created for God, to worship him, to be in a relationship with him. But Genesis 3, sin entered paradise, the Garden of Eden, through Adam's rebellion. And as a result, from that point on, every human being that has ever lived has inherited a sinful nature, and that is from birth. So understand, friends, sin is not just something we do. It's not just outward acts. Our problem is actually much deeper than that. It's, it's who we are by nature. And we see this. That's, that's why, parents, your two-year-old likes to use his fork as a weapon. And that's why your five-year-old likes to kick his two-year-old brother in the shins because he's just defending his turf. You didn't teach your kids to do that. It just comes very naturally. It's actually proof of our sinful nature. And so from Genesis 3 on, uh, really in one sense, the Bible tells and retells this very sad and tragic human story of sin and suffering and injustice and betrayal and deceit. And you can't really read too much in the Bible to, to understand that sin is actually no laughing matter. It's serious. It's serious. In fact, we learn that our sins have separated us from the God who loves us, from the God who created us. We learn that our sins have alienated us from the God who has created us in His image. And because we're alienated then, we we seek to live independently from this God. We, We seek to try and do life on our own terms. And one of the very ugly consequences of that, brothers and sisters, is that we actually then don't really see our sin for what it really is. So we might call them personality flaws, we might call them just areas of growth, we might call them a whole number of different things, but we really don't see our sins for what they really are. The Bible speaks clearly about sin and the the devastating effect of sin. The the Bible speaks of sin as a debt. We we just sung about that. It's a debt that, that every one of us owe, but it's a debt that we cannot pay. The Bible also speaks about sin as as a stain. It's an offense to to a holy God. How do we possibly get rid of that stain, that offense before God? Listen to how desperate our situation really is by nature on our own, apart from Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote another letter. He wrote several letters in the New Testament, and this is to a church in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. well, none of us are doing okay on our own. And even more, we are in deep, deep spiritual trouble because there is sin that is in our hearts that we cannot fix ourselves, try as we might. In fact, Paul drives this point home here, if you look at this text again, and saying that we're, we're spiritually dead in our sins. And, and the proof of our deadness is that we're just kind of trying to fit in. We're going with the flow of the world Who's controlling the flow of the world? Well, it's Satan. So at one time, in following the course, as Paul says, of the world, and just trying to go with the flow, just trying to fit in, we were actually following Satan, disobeying God, living for ourselves, doing whatever felt good in the moment. And so if we were to add all that up, the result is that we actually do incur the wrath the righteous anger of a holy god and that's why the prophet isaiah could say in isaiah 59 verse 2 your iniquities have made a separation between you and your god and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear now those are sobering words sobering words that that's actually bad news for all of us on good friday A few years ago, I I got a speeding ticket, and the speeding ticket came in the mail. And so if you get a speeding ticket in the mail, you are in deep weeds. Because I soon discovered that this is no ordinary speeding ticket, it was a speeding ticket in a school zone. And I know some of you are already sinfully judging me in your hearts right now. I get it. The speed limit in a school zone is 20, and evidently I was going 28. I was guilty. I was in the wrong, I broke the law, I violated the law. So I did what I think normal human beings do when they are guilty of breaking the law. I tried to get out of it. And I was, I was planning on writing a very well-crafted, sincere letter asking the court for leniency, mercy, only to find that no court would actually read that letter. So then I was hoping I could go to traffic school and spend a, a wonderful Saturday there. I'll just put in my time, but I discovered as well that this is the kind of ticket where you can't go to traffic school. Then I was thinking, well, maybe I could just then finally have my day in court, only to find out that there was no possibility of a personal appearance in court. So there was nothing that I could do. There was no recourse for me. There was no other option other than just admitting my guilt and paying the fine. And judging by the amount of the fine, I learned that the city of Spokane takes speeding in a school zone very seriously. So I just want you to know now, if if you're behind me in a school zone, I'm going like six miles an hour. (laughs) I committed a violation. I broke the law. I was guilty. I had to pay. So what are we human beings going to do with our sins? Because we broke God's law. We violated his commandments. We're guilty. And God would not be God. He would not be holy. He would not be just if, if he just ignored our sins. So what recourse do we actually have? Now, if the story of Good Friday just ended right there, we're guilty, we're condemned, we're hopeless sinners deserving of death, well, we wouldn't really have a whole lot of hope, would we? There's really no point in sticking around or coming back on Sunday. But in fact, the story's not over. Because the good news of Good Friday is that the story doesn't end simply with our sins and our rebellion. For our sake, Paul says, God acted on our behalf. He did something for us. And that's the second part of the story. And that is God's provision for sinners. God's provision for sinners. We see how God meets our need. This story in 2 Corinthians 5:21 really takes a dramatic turn when we consider the person and work of Jesus. Paul tells us uh, that for our sake, for us, God made him, that is Jesus, to be sin. Even though Jesus knew no sin, even though Jesus was sinless, for us God in his great compassion and mercy and kindness and faithful love took the initiative to rescue us and redeem us by making the sinless Jesus sin for us. Now, what does that even mean? How is it, in fact, that Jesus is sin for us? It doesn't mean that, well, Jesus actually sinned, so he can relate to us in that. That's not true at all. That would contradict all of Scripture. He's the sinless Lamb of God. And it doesn't mean that, that God just simply offered up Jesus as a sin offering. That is true, but, but it doesn't go far enough, it doesn't tell the whole story. What Paul is actually saying here is that God the Father on the cross treated Jesus as if he were a sinner. God treated his own son, Jesus, as if Jesus had sinned all the sins of all humanity for all who would repent and believe in him. So on the cross, Jesus died as if he were a liar. He died as if he were a drunkard. He died as if he were an adulterer. He died as if he were a swindler. He died as if he were a cheat. And we have to understand, friends, that it's not that Jesus had a death wish. Far from it. I mean, Jesus loved life. Nobody loved life more than Jesus. But nobody hated death more than Jesus. He hated death and sin and suffering so much that he, in fact, died to conquer it once for all. And he did that for our sake. So his death, in fact, shouts to us first that that we're not okay. We are not doing okay on our own. But his death also shouts to us He will die in our place so that we will live. We're guilty as charged, and the death of Christ is in fact our only rescue. So what's the good news then of Good Friday? Paul says in the last part of verse 21 that Jesus died on the cross so that in him we might become the righteousness of of God. So the reason we call this day Good Friday is because all the terrible things that happened to Jesus on the cross should have, in fact, happened to us. But instead, all the things that Jesus won and gained and earned on the cross through His shed blood, He, in fact, gives to us so that we can be seen by God as if we are pure and perfect just as Jesus Himself was. That's just not good news. I mean, that's life-changing news. That's eternally life-changing news. Because on the cross, God treats Jesus as if he were a sinner. And God treats sinners as if we were Christ. In the death of Christ, God the Father has done two very significant things for sinners in need of salvation. First, he's put all of our sins and all of our guilt on Christ. And second, and this is really the point of the last part of verse 21 here, all of Christ's perfections and righteousness is then given to us. The, the word there is imputed. It's given to us. So that righteousness, that doesn't come from ourselves. It doesn't come from within. You no, know, the only righteousness that is pleasing to a holy God, the only spiritual perfections that is worthy of salvation, must come as a gift from God through the death of Jesus on the cross. The, the Protestant Reformers spoke of this as an alien righteousness, so alien, not like weird, extraterrestrial, but just simply outside of ourselves. It doesn't come from within. We, none of us tap into some innate sense of goodness. No, it, it, it must come from God as a gift from God So how does that actually work? I mean, how does Christ's death on the cross actually make up for all of our sins? And some of you may be here thinking, well, I'm not sure that it does. I hope it makes up for some of my sins, but don't I partner with Jesus in this? He'll pay for some. I'm going to need to pay for some. Does his death really pay for all of my sins, past, present, and future? How does that sort of righteousness actually get to me? I recently read a a really helpful way of describing this. I want you to imagine, and you don't have to imagine, it's true. You have a paper with your name at the top, and underneath is just a a whole record of all of your sins that you've ever committed. Your name, list of all your sins. Now, just think about that just for a moment. Every impure thought... Every selfish action, every look of indifference, every harsh word, the jealousy in looking at others, the, the times when you just don't care about any, anybody or anything other than yourself, your name, it's all listed right there on that piece of paper. Doesn't matter whether you're eight or 85 years old, for all of us, that list would be pretty long, wouldn't it? Now, Jesus also has a piece of paper, his name is on the top. And underneath is listed all of his sins that he ever committed. But his paper, of course, is blank because he never sinned. And so what happened at the cross then is that Jesus exchanged his paper with yours. He crossed out your name and your paper with all of your sins listed, and he put his name at the top. So instead of Jeff and all of my pages, books, of sins, he wrote Jesus. And he put his name on the top of your paper with all of your sins listed. And Jesus took that paper to the cross where the wrath of God was poured out on him for you. And in exchange, Jesus puts your name at the top of his perfect paper. So now when God looks at you, he sees the perfect obedience of Christ. He sees his perfect righteousness. We actually have Christ's paper. So, if I'm understanding, brothers and sisters, what Paul is saying here in verse 21, the good news of Good Friday is this. On the cross, Jesus gets what we all deserve, death. Through the cross, we in fact get what Jesus deserves, which is life. In fact, we, we get God, a relationship with God, friendship with God, eternal fellowship with God. We, we get Him as the ultimate treasure. That's how the, the cross of Christ makes the grace of God real. So we have a debt that we cannot pay. Jesus pays that for us. We have a stain that no amount of us trying to wash that away. Can wash it away? What can? In fact, what's the only thing that can wash away our sins? There's only one thing, and that is the blood of Jesus. What that means then is no amount of church involvement, no amount of serving or giving or no amount of study, doesn't matter how many books of the Bible you've memorized, no amount of evangelistic efforts, none of those things can atone, can wash away your sins. That's something that only the blood of Jesus can do. And so it is indeed the cross that reveals the ugliness of of us. It reveals our great need, but it's also the cross of Christ that reveals the breathtakingly eternal life-changing love of God for sinners like us so the question that each of us really do need to wrestle with tonight then is, is this day really good? Is this day really good for, for me? If, in fact, it's, it's only good if you have already repented of your sins and turned and trusted in the saving work of Jesus Christ. If you've not done that, this day is actually not good. It's not good at all because what happened to Jesus is actually what awaits you when you die. You will need to give an account. You will need to pay for your sins against a holy God. So let me just apply this good news of Good Friday tonight. If you're not a Christian, really glad that you are here. Perhaps you were invited by a neighbor or a friend or a family member. Uh, what What a great joy, what a great blessing to have you here if you're not a Christian, Jesus is the Savior you need. But you don't deserve him. None of us do. But in fact, if you're not a Christian tonight, then you are still holding in your paper, or sorry, you're holding in your hand your paper, and it has your name on it, and it's got all your sins listed down below. And what are you going to do about that? Christ died to, to rescue you. So, turn from your sins. The biblical word there is repent. Oftentimes, when we think of turning and repentance, we, we tend to think of repentance as this sort of quiet act where maybe your Bible is open and uh, you know, the Lord works. It, it can be like that. But, but frankly, I think repentance is a lot more like crawling on your hands and knees in the mud, crawling to Jesus, turning to Him. So turn from your sins, crawl to him if need be. Tonight, you don't have to fix your life, you don't have to figure out what tomorrow holds, you just need to come to him in your spiritual brokenness and poverty. And Scripture says that all of your sins, past, present, and future, your paper with your name written on it, that's actually been nailed to the cross. That's why David the psalmist could write in Psalm 103, verse 10, God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. And the reason is because all of your sins have been placed on Christ. So Jesus took your paper, put his name on top, and he uh, he gave you his paper and put your name on it. And all of that is a gift of God's grace. It's a gift of his kindness and his mercy to you. Jesus is the Savior you need, but you don't deserve, but He is ready to rescue you tonight. And if you are a believer, maybe you've been following Jesus for many, many years, well, Jesus is the Savior you have, but the truth is none of us deserve Him to be our Savior. The Christian life from beginning to end is all a work of God's grace, and Jesus is God's greatest gift to us as a Christian, then you've been given Jesus' paper and your name is on the top of it and your paper with all of your sins has His name on it. And so when we really understand that, when we begin to just understand that, how can we not rejoice? How can we not have hearts of gratitude? So that as Paul would say in another letter in Romans chapter 839, rejoice because nothing in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus your Lord. Let that land on your heart. Nothing can separate you as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, from God's great love for you in Christ Jesus. That means not a wayward child, not an an ailing parent, not the loss of a job, not a devastating diagnosis of cancer, not your marital woes, not your successes, not your hardships, not your worst day on earth or your best day on earth, not your self-condemnation or your self-congratulation. Nothing, nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. In fact, Christ was separated from God the Father for a time on the cross so that you and I would never have to be. So brothers and sisters, think of the mercy won for you at the cross. Think of that mercy of Christ. It it motivates us, doesn't it, to, to want to please Him in all things. It motivates us to live a godly life, a holy life. It motivates us to say, I don't even want anything to do with sin. Big sin, little sin, any sin at all. It prompts us to give others around us the mercy of Christ because we recognize that the great mercy that Christ has given to us and it compels us to to want to share the good news of the forgiveness of sins with loved ones and family members who maybe don't know that. And it just may even compel us to invite them back to church on Sunday where our joy is maximized as we do celebrate the victory of Jesus, his victory for us over sin and death and Satan, our greatest enemies. So Good Friday is good. It's very good for all those who belong to Christ by faith and are now even experiencing and know the goodness of his love.